Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. It's been a wild ride, all really built on passion, and then in search of profitability, you know, figuring out how do you make money doing what you love. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Educator, advocate, activist, storyteller, consultant, philanthropist, dog mom, just a few titles that my friend Jess Wiener can hang her hat on. What Jess does is so important. She advises and leads massive brands on how to better reflect people and their diverse experiences within their media, marketing, advertising, and workforce. She is a brilliant branding mind with a special superpower of connecting companies with their communities. Jess is also expanding her work to connect with her own community and help people define what a good life really means to them. I am so thrilled that she's here on this podcast to dig into consulting, personal branding, marketing, and messaging, building community, and so much more. Here she is, the incomparable Jess Wiener. Thanks to Trends.co for supporting Gold Digger. Trends is a knowledgeable hub from the hustle where you can expand your network and discover the next big business idea before it explodes. Go to trends.co slash gold digger to start your $1 two-week trial. The secret behind my website design is Tonic. They've created a collection of customizable websites that are super stunning and wicked easy to update. Save 20% on your Tonic site at tonicsiteshop.com with the code GOLDDIGGER. That's T-O-N-I-C-S-I-T-E-S-H-O-P.com and the code GOLDDIGGER. 
All right, Jess, it is due time that you are on the Gold Digger podcast. So welcome to the show. I had to stop our early intro chatting because I was like, we need to hit record on this. This is just so good. (laughs) So welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here finally. I know. I feel like we've been like in each other's DMs just for the last year being like, when, when, when? And honestly, there's never been a better time than this. So I am so, so I like divine. It's divine. Mm -hmm. I agree. Oh, okay. So I want to know, like, tell me, because I actually don't know this about you, like, where and when did all of this start? Tell me about the early days of your career before you were consulting for these massive brands and changing the world as we know it. How did this all begin for you? You know, like all good stories, Jenna, it began a little bit by accident. I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years. I have never, ever worked for anybody else. Well, wait, that's not true. I worked for a re- I worked for a clothing company for 4 days. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Out of college, but I I went to college at Penn State. I loved theater and performing arts and I thought that, you know, that's all I wanted to do was perform and write and produce and direct. And then I got there and liberal arts education blew my mind and I got a degree in women's studies and a degree in classics. So, now I have 3 degrees that guarantee me to make no money in my life. <laughs> at, at least, you know, back then that was the thing thinking. And so honestly, at 21 years old, I I had been so educated at Penn State, but at 21, I'm out of college now and I take another community college class on grant writing. And this is where it started for me. I started my own theater company at 21. I learned how to write a grant to get money from businesses. And my first grant that I got was $5,000. It was from an insurance company. And I wanted to talk about eating disorders and body image and social issues that were affecting women at the time. This has always been a passion point for me. And this company gave me $5,000 to produce my plays and take them to schools. And, and that's how I started. I literally had no idea how to pay people. I paid people $11 a week because I thought it sounded better than 10. Like, it was like, <laughs> it was crazy back in, you know, back in the day. Like I was just ambitious and hungry and naive and, and committed. And I just, you know, I started this company when I was 21. I ran that for six, for six years. And then I sold it and kind of came out here to, to California trying to find my place in the media landscape. And, you know, I was 27 years old and landed out here. I didn't know anybody in California. I didn't know how I was going to parlay all of this incredible experience I had on the road talking to students for six years. But then I wanted to move into a completely different medium. And I had no training in that. I just had a curiosity. And that's always been a guiding force for me. I love that. Did that $5,000 feel like a million dollars? Like, was that like probably the most influential money you've ever earned? Well, yeah. I mean, at that time, if I could even just place our listeners there, okay, because I'm I'm in my mid 40s. And so this is a while ago. And I paid $175 a month for rent. And I, you know, at the time, my first, so I took that $5,000. That's, I think, why I paid everybody like 11 bucks a week, poor people. But like, you know, like everybody was happy to perform and get paid. And, and I just stretched that money as much as I could until I learned that I could get matching grants and I could fundraise more. And so I built that business. And when I, you know, even at the time of when I sold that business, I was 24 years old, 25 years old, I was making 25, $30,000 a year. And I was living high on life. You know, I was like paid off my debt and I was, you know, living at a time even a little bit beneath my means and it gave me money to save to come out to California. But, you know, when you're new at this and I didn't know that I was really an entrepreneur, I didn't call myself that. I just was trying to make the most of all this education I had gotten. 
Yeah. So walk me through what happens. So you get to California, you want to enter this media scene, you have these big visions and ideas. And what I'm thinking of is nowadays, we can talk about all of these things, body image and inclusivity and eating disorders. And, and it doesn't necessarily feel like a dirty word or something wrong or shameful. But back then it was very different. So walk me through what happened next. Yeah, I felt very kind of alone and out there in my field of choice. You know, it was a hybrid of women's issues, so social issues, self-help, empowerment. And I was a young, you know, as a young woman who was trying to kind of chart my own course. And so I got out to California. I drove out. I did that quintessential road trip with a friend, <laughs> got out to California, my geoprism, stayed at a hotel by the airport, the extended stay America. I lived there for three months and couldn't find a place to live in LA. Like didn't have a lot of friends out here. But I just have always had this dogged determination. That's part of my DNA. It's part of my type A personality. And so, you know, I called everybody I knew. I did a lot of cold calling. And I did have two factors that I think helped when I got out here. When I was in college, I did a a show for MTV News at the time where I, I was able to share some of the work that I was doing on college campuses around sexual assault and sexual harassment. And MTV picked up that story. So the summer I graduated, I had had a lot of press coverage and I had some, you know, offers to speak places. And so I started following that path. And that helped me kind of learn how to pitch myself, how to talk about myself, how to parlay the press that I had into the next opportunity. And so, you know, when I was out here, I knocked on every door I could. And eventually what I did was I went and I entered myself into this pitch contest at this big television production conference called NATP. It's the National Association of Television Programming Execs. And it was like everywhere you went, like when you wanted to be Oprah, right? It was like where Oprah sold her show and everybody's like selling their TV shows into syndication. And I signed myself up as a solo person and I bought the wrong badge. So I bought a badge that was a promoter, like a sponsor badge. And so I was asked to come into everybody's suite and everybody was being so nice to me. And I thought, oh my God, this is amazing. Like everybody is so welcoming. And I realized at the end of the day, they thought I was a buyer. Oh my gosh. They're like, what is she pitching us? I know. So I I made my way around and then I entered a a pitch contest that Microsoft was sponsoring and I won the pitch contest. And my prize was, I was pitching a, a show and a show idea that I had at the time. And my prize was meetings in Los Angeles. So I I did have like some contacts when I got out here from that, that meeting. But let me tell you, like I'm a 26, 27 year old young woman in LA at a time where being young and ambitious wasn't as understood and desired as it is right now. I will say that. I think I got a lot of executives that were skeptical of what my experience is and what's my knowledge and who are you? Whereas I feel like now youth culture, we're just, we're so used to like rewarding and acknowledging smart young people. And when I was younger and and really trying to make this kind of hybrid career, I had a lot of skeptic, you know, interactions and so skeptical interactions. And so I went to, you know, had a lot of pitch meetings and I would just say, you know, I want to do a show that's healthier for women. I want to stop tearing women down. I want to tell different stories. And all the executives, all men that I would meet would just say to me, yeah, but I think women really secretly like what we program for them. And I just thought, that is not true. I know that's not true. And then I started all of those no's and rejections and kind of hard meetings got me thinking about like, how do I unpack this puzzle? Like, how do I influence the gatekeeper? How do I 
change the game and this system, not just like for me, but for everybody who might come after me. Mm -hmm. You know what I want to, I'm just so curious about knowing you is that, so you enter this scene, you're actually kind of like the front woman because you've had this press and this coverage and these ideas. What then led you to become a consultant who is working more behind the scenes? What did that transition look like? You know, it's an interesting journey because I did get a TV deal and I, you know, was on track to get my own talk show when I was 30 years old and I had written a book and I had done Oprah and I had ticked all of those boxes. But a lot of things were changing in culture. This is now early 2000s, this is post 9-11. You know, media is changing, stories are changing. And so some of my life story is really defined by being ahead of the curve and then also being bumped off by the curve, you know? So yeah. I yeah. I got here and I had some great momentum and then 9-11 happened and 9-11 from this space of, you know, how it impacted the entertainment industry changed a lot of the kinds of conversations people were now willing to have. And so out of a horrible, horrible experience for us, I saw an opening and an opportunity where people were a little bit more willing to listen, right? To being more unified and being more inclusive. And this is very, very early days. And so as I was trying to figure out what to do next, because the talk show deal ended and the people I was in business with went out of business, which happened a lot after 9-11, people, much like what's going on right now with Corona, people in moments of, you know, great trauma and experience, they they have a reckoning with themselves. And they say, like, is this the world I want to be in? Is this the life I want to live? And they they make changes. So the folks I was in business with, changed, you know, careers. And I was trying to reinvent myself again after having a little taste of it. And I was writing an advice column for 17 magazine. I wrote a body image column for five years there called body piece. And I was loving it. I was loving the interactions with girls all over the world. And I wrote an advice column for Mary Kate and Ashley Olson's website back in the day. And I was talking to young women, thousands and thousands of women, you know, women and girls who wore burkas and Birkenstocks. Like I talked to everybody and I was so lit up by by that experience and that knowledge that one day, because of my advice column work, I got a call from the folks at Dove who were, you know, launching this campaign. They wanted to talk about beauty and beauty stereotypes and photoshopping and retouching, which, you know, if you go back in 2004, and you know this as a photographer, like those were skills that we didn't have in our possession yet. Those were skills photographers used. Yeah. And we didn't, everyday people didn't use that on their phones. And so there was always this like barrier between the images that were being produced, right, in our mainstream pop culture and what women really looked like. And Dove wanted to talk about that. And they, they were trying to figure out the right way in and how to talk to young women. And I spent about a year, Jenna, talking to them about working together because I was so skeptical of working with brands back then. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah. you know, I, I had a lot of credibility in schools. I had a lot of credibility in my magazine columns. And I, I didn't want to think, I didn't want my audience to think that I had sold out or compromised. And then I met enough people at Unilever and at Dove. And you know this now from working with brands, you meet the people behind the brands. And that's where I fell in love. I was like, these are great people with the right intentions yeah. in a very timely space to have this conversation in my area of expertise. And so I joined forces with them. And that was 16 years ago. Wow. And they have been my longest, you know, partner and 
I've learned so much with them. And, you know, we helped to create the campaign for real beauty and write the self-esteem curriculum and deliver it to, you know, to, to people worldwide. And I learned then that there was great power in partnering with brands, right. Who have large platforms. If your missions are aligned and the content is authentic, which by the way, has not changed to today, right. It's even more important today because we have so many platforms that allow us to be the CEOs of our own media empires. And back then, Dove was a big door opener for the conversations that I wanted to continue having with women and families around the world. And and so that kind of set me on a slightly tangential path from, you know, going to Hollywood, thinking Hollywood and media was the only way in to then looking at advertising, which, by the way, is what funds the media that we love. Yeah. And so yeah. it's a very codependent relationship. And I thought, well, advertisers have a lot of power and they have mm-hmm. a lot of ability to export images around the world that could change people's lives. Well, and you've done just that. Like when I, I remember that Dove campaign, like I remember so many pieces of that and the way that it makes you feel. I'm really curious, Jess, like looking at you and your life, like what drives that passion behind like realness and inclusion and vulnerability and all of this? Like what is that driving force behind all of that for you? Oh, it started for me, you know, as a little girl, I grew up with a mom and a dad who are pretty chronic dieters and have been their whole life. And, you know, food and body image and a fear of weight and and all that stuff was like the predominant currency in my childhood growing up. And so I, as a young girl, you know, went on my first diet at 11 with my mom. I developed a pretty bad eating disorder in high school and into college. And because I I, you know, was so good at the performing and the being, you know, perfection path and and kind of the people pleaser, which comes a lot with this sort of mental health disease. You know, I was wrapped up in my identity and worth being akin to my size and shape. I mean, and you know this well, this is what is so much plaguing, you know, amazing, amazing women and men. And so, you know, because my dad was a part of this culture in our family as well. And so I knew early on the pain that that caused. I experienced it firsthand. And when I think I had, when I got to college, I, I was the first time I got help for it. I went into, you know, therapy and treatment and I had a name for what was happening for me. I had mm-hmm. a community because I, I was very much a fan and still am of group therapy and community, you know, dynamics. And it started to heal me and heal parts of me that then inspired me, I think, to say, well, I want to I want to kind of rip the bandaid off and talk about the things that we're so afraid to talk about, especially back then. And again, we have to remember the conversation around mental health. And by the way, body image back then, like I had what was called an eating disorder, not otherwise specified. It's EDNOS. It meant that I had a combination of things that I would do. I would binge, I would overexercise, I would restrict, but I didn't fall into any one of the specific categories, anorexic or bulimic. And so that's a large majority of the population of women who struggle and men who struggle with eating disorders. And I didn't have a name for it. I just thought there was something wrong with me that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be happy with what I was Mm -hmm. and who I was. And so I just, I had a, a great fascination with how do we talk about the things we're so scared to talk about? How do we name the things that are really bothering us? And how do we come together to normalize this so people like myself and the people I was in therapy with didn't feel so alone anymore? And so I think the little girl in me is always guiding 
some of the work. I think we often teach what we most need to learn. And the beginning part of my career was very much focused on body image and beauty and and inclusivity. And it still is. It's starting to shift for me as I get into the, the middle passage of my life. But that commitment to curiosity and people's stories and telling the truth, it's just, it's a fundamental value for me. I feel like I can like feel that in you and the way that you show up. And I think that that's really beautiful. I want to know as you're sharing all of this and even just thinking about the way that marketing has evolved and changed, Mm -hmm. you know, inclusivity is now popular and it's trendy. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, right? Like that means that like your message and your mission is being accepted in a wider spread way. What do you think that means for marketing? Like what have you seen happen from the beginning of your career to now? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it something we should be adopting? Is it something we should be avoiding? What does that look like? Those are great questions. I think overall my headline is that of course it's great, right? The more we can normalize the conversation around inclusivity, the more everybody fits in the story and the narrative. And now we have beautiful platforms for people to tell their own stories. They're they're not waiting to be the object of somebody else's story. They're the subject of their own. And, you know, after I worked with Dove, I worked with Barbie and changed Barbie's body and have evolved some of that brand. And then of course you and I met through Aerie, you know, who I advise with and, and love that brand and what they're Committed to. And so I would say that the biggest trend, right, and you mentioned it, is that inclusivity has become much more of the sought after effect in marketing. People know it's a it's a nice to have. I'm here to say it's a need to have. Like the market is shifting in a way that it's no longer optional right? Like you have to build a team that is inclusive and you have to build a product that's inclusive. And that takes a kind of attention and a kind of self-reflection that I think is changing the marketing and advertising space. And look, sometimes people really step in it. Even the brands I work with step in it. But I think, you know, we're human, we're fallible, and we're learning. And I actually think, while I don't think companies are people, but people do run companies. And so, you know, you can't forget that when you're advocating for change, that it's not unlike talking to your uncle or your neighbor or your best friend. Like, people are motivated and incentivized by doing good and feeling good. And so I think, you know, if I try to now tell my clients, and what I do is I work with my clients to understand that the toothpaste is out of the tube. This is the way the world is going. Here's what market's going to demand. But how do you do it in a way that genuinely connects you to the people who you want to buy your product? And I'm never, I'm never ever pretending that the brands that I'm working with, they're not nonprofits, they're not charities, they're absolutely set up to make money. And I go in eyes wide open and I say, let me help marry your business imperative to a way of doing less harm or no harm to the people you're trying to reach. Mm, that is so good. And you know, what's so funny is as you say that I can picture like sitting in the boardroom at the Aerie headquarters mm-hmm. and these exact conversations, because when I go there, mm-hmm. I'm the role model. That's like, tell me the numbers, tell me yep. the forecast. Where are we at? What's the top selling product? What, you know, like, because like, that's just the way that my brain thinks. But what's so beautiful is exactly what you just said. Like you can have these strategies in your business where, you know, like, people want this and this is attractive and this is actually going to help people convert, which is going to convert into profits. And there's no 
apologizing necessary when you can connect this mission with this level of impact that can impact you financially. And I think that a lot of times when we go in certain directions like this, where we're like, you know, I, I really care about this thing. I really want to make sure that my brand is welcoming and inclusive. I want to make sure that people are feeling represented. We feel this like guilt about using a certain strategy in that way when it can benefit us. What do you think like when Mm -hmm. I say this? Because I guess I've never really thought really deeply about this topic. I think you have to be intentional when you're thinking about inclusivity and you have to be strategic. I think this is where bias comes in and implicit bias and unconscious bias, which is, you know, look, most of us are going to be operating from the level and depth of our life experiences. And if you are always around similar people, be it education, race, religion, you know, marital status, like all of that, you're going to always be seeing the world through a particular lens. And I think what we have to be cognizant of is that the world is changing pretty rapidly. Look, by 2045, we're predicting that we no longer have a Caucasian majority in this country, that this is a going to become more of a beautiful, blended world. And so what does that look like? What does that sound like? And I think a lot of the, the folks that are trying to become more inclusive, I would say, put maybe a little less effort on the trying abstractly and get specific, get detailed. I mean, you do this, you ask for the numbers, you want to know what people are attracted to. I do that as well. I do ethnographic research. I do qualitative research. I talk to people all the time to find out where there is a need and where there is a way that a brand or a product that I'm working with can show up and really not just sell you the product, but solve a problem for you And, 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 or open up a conversation and become a megaphone for an issue that you care deeply about. I just think there's so much power in that kind of inclusion, but I I don't think it happens by accident. So I think if you hope for it and you don't work for it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You don't need to be a coding expert to get a gorgeous strategically designed website that converts for your business. You just need Tonic Site Shop, the secret behind my website design. Get 20% off at tonicsiteshop.com with the code GOLDDIGGER. Before Tonic, I didn't really know what an asset a great unique website could be for my business. I didn't know that someone could leave my site feeling like they know me or that it could just take them from a casual observer to a raving fan within just a few minutes. If you're tired of being embarrassed by your website or you know it should be better, but you don't actually have the money to make it better, you've got to go check out Jen and Jeff from Tonic. They've created a collection of customizable websites that are super stunning and wicked easy to update. If you know your website isn't as good as it should be and you're riding the struggle bus trying to figure out how everyone else seems to have gorgeous websites, I have some advice. Buy a Tonic site. Save 20% off using the code GOLDDIGGER at tonicsiteshop.com. That's T-O-N-I-C-S-I-T-E-S-H-O-P.com. I'm so grateful to have Trends supporting the Gold Digger podcast. Trends is a knowledge hub from the hustle that gives you access to this community of industry leaders in virtually every field where you can learn how to capitalize on emerging opportunities. You can also workshop your own ideas and network with other entrepreneurs and investors. Trends also has weekly live lectures where experts teach you lessons on topics such as growth strategies, SEO, or how to send the perfect cold email. They also have exclusive research such as data on thousands of successful Kickstarter projects or the 30 companies defining the future of media and pop culture. Trends feels like my secret behind the scenes knowledge base for learning about what's next in our constantly evolving industry. 
I have to set aside trends time each week because I get pulled into the research and information and my mind starts swirling with what I'm reading and these new ideas and strategies. I just did a quick search for online education topics and wow, the articles I'm reading about opportunities in ed tech is putting my brain into overdrive. I'm enjoying the trends community so much. I want to share it with you. Right now, you can get your first two weeks for just $1. Go to trends.co slash gold digger to start your $1 two-week trial. That's T-R-E-N-D-S dot C-O slash gold digger for your $1 two-week trial. Pretend that we're at like a consulting meeting. You and I are sitting at a table and I'm one of your like top brands. I want to know like... What is the future for marketing trends? Like if we were just going to forecast because the world is constantly evolving, like what do you think is next? Like what do you think is the next thing that marketers are going to cling to in a beautiful way that hopefully will make the world a better place? So I predict that, and this has always been the case, but I think this is going to become exaggerated now based on COVID-19 and the world that we're living in. You can't look to the future now and forecast without thinking about people's mental wellness. I think that we're talking about physical wellness because we have to, we're in the middle of a pandemic and and that's really important. But I put the overlay of mental health and mental wellness on the forefront of every single brand conversation I'm having for the next five years, which is how are we going to attend to people who are going to be transitioning, where milestones have been missed, where burials can't happen for loved ones, where weddings are postponed, where we become an interface in technology in a way that humans like Brene Brown says are hardwired for belonging and connection, right? We need to be together. And that is going to impact not just where we go, right? Retail is going to be impacted. Restaurants are impacted. Social gatherings are impacted. But our mindset is being impacted. And I will say this, according you know, to the research we're doing, we're going to have one of the biggest academic regressions we're ever going to see in this country because of COVID and that and around the world. And that predominantly too can affect lower income families and girls, girls education around the world. And so I'm looking at this as now a connective tissue of what post-COVID generations will be like, how we're going to need to relate and talk to each other. What are the acute needs going to be? And I think keeping in mind privilege, because this experience that we're having right now, it is not an equal playing field for everybody. There are massive, I think we're all becoming perhaps more aware of where we have privilege. It's becoming more obvious in whether or not we have access to healthcare or whether or not we're able to stay home with our children and homeschool. And so I think there's going to be a deeper connection happening. I think there's going to be a deeper disconnect happening in our psyches and in our mental wellness. And that's something as I look at trends and and things like that for my clients, I always lay in the humanitarian piece of this, which is we are people at the end of the day before we consume anything. We're humans. And we're in an unprecedented time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's crazy. Every single night, Drew and I go on a walk and we push Coco in her little mm-hmm. her little buggy and we just have these conversations. And it's wild because I think that the level of empathy, when you start even just tracing industries, we start talking about like, okay, the hotel industry and then our friends mm-hmm. that work in the restaurants and the cleaners and then the maintenance people. And then it like, it's this trickle down effect that we are like at the top of right now. Like we haven't even experienced each trickle yet. I 100% agree with mental health and wellness. Even on my team calls, it's like, okay, how is everyone feeling this week? And there are some calls where I'm like super positive and some calls where I'm crying. And it's just, you know, it's, I think that 
kind of like what you said with September 11th, where it opens up people to maybe be a little bit more vulnerable because that Mm -hmm. open layer of communication is required right now for survival for many. It could be the beautiful beginnings of certain things. And it also could be opening us up to a future of some new challenges. Agreed. I also, I call this moment for me anyway, the great reset, because I feel like I'm, you know, listen, there's no way I'm not writing a novel at home during this time. I can tell you that, but I am, (laughs) I am undergoing my own pivot. And I had been undergoing this pivot in my life prior to this, but I think it's accelerated by this reset moment to ask yourself, you know, a lot of the work that I do in my workshops with clients and with partners is I do a vision values and mission exercise. And I revisit this exercise every six months in my own life, but it's just, it's a centering tool that I use to make sure that my big picture vision, my everyday values and my action steps are all in alignment. And that's usually where I can tell if I'm leaning towards a change in my life, right? Like values shift and vision shift. And, and then therefore, if you're doing the same actions, you're not getting closer to what you need or you want. And so I was doing this exercise maybe a year before this happened. And I knew I was being called to start to to do some other things in my life outside of the corporate consulting, which I love and I'll continue to do. But I was experiencing a need and a desire to go back to some creative roots in my life and to express myself in different ways. And, you know, I think a lot of people are maybe having similar conversations right now, which is, you know, we are very aware of the finite time we have. I think when people are in illness and when there's tragedy, we get awakened to the specialness of life and get off the hamster wheel for a minute and we go, you know, gosh, I want, like you do this so beautifully, like prioritize, how do I want to spend my time? You know, what do I want to give to the world? And so I also am doing that, not just, you know, I've been behind the scenes, like you said, I've been helping to launch a lot of you know, brands and campaigns and making people hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. And, and then I, you know, thought to myself, what's driving me, the success is always important to me. I like being successful. I'm ambitious. I enjoy that achievement, but there is a deep longing that I'm having to be in community and conversation around urgent living and passionate living and focused living in a way that I I wasn't finding conversations for women in midlife and women at maybe mid-career. And, you know, and so I just decided I was going to start those myself. And I think you were going to find that, I'm hoping anyway, that a lot of us are going to be reckoning with how we're, we're orchestrating our life and, and understanding what living a good life really means to us now more than ever. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I want to talk about this pivot more because I think that a lot of times, and I know for me, especially as an achiever, are you a, a three on the Enneagram? I don't think so, but I should be. I always feel like yeah. I have the Enneagram. I think I'm <laughs> you overthink it. I um, do. <laughs> but I, I feel like a lot of times, especially even nowadays with just the social media side being sensationalized of what success should look like and what it entails, a lot of people land in places that they thought was that definition and find right. that they're not fully satisfied or that they're not, they don't feel successful or they don't feel different. I want to know what has this pivot felt like for you? Because, you know, the just that I met as the consultant, like pivoting into this space again, where you're the face and you are the Mm -hmm. front line and you are stepping out and you are sharing the knowledge that you've been sharing in boardrooms now with the world. Like what has that shift and pivot felt like? 
it's felt incredible to be honest. It's been, yeah. it's, been it's been a real you know, look, I believe in the concept of yes and it's an improv tool, right? You yeah. always add yeah. to the situation. And I feel like I'm yes and in my life. Like, yes, yeah. I'm a corporate consultant, and yes, I've done these campaigns, and I want to and go, you know, we'll go back to my teaching. And I've been a college professor for eight years. And, you know, I love I'm an educator at, at the core. That's even what I do in my consulting work. So what's felt incredible is I think I've given myself permission to have more conversations. You know, I'm going to launch in, you know, in, in about a month, a conversation series, a podcast and video series around death and life and everything in between and, you know, have some spiritual, philosophical conversations that I'm craving in my life that I know others are craving and I'm just making the home for it. So I can do both. I can advise on marketing trends and love to do that and love to help businesses build better relationships to their consumers. And then I'm also, as a human like really interested in deeply connecting with people around some other topics that I don't, you know, that I don't see enough conversation in that, that kind of fill me up. So it's been frightening. I will tell you too, that, you know, when you mentioned the success and, and, you know, look, last year I made more money than I ever made in my entire career. I think you and I have talked about this. I had the biggest staff I'd ever had. I had more clients than I'd ever had. And in the middle of the year, I had a really significant breakdown. And yeah. uh, and a breakthrough because of that breakdown where I, yeah. I thought this is absolutely not what will do it for me long term. Like this yes. is not my vision, my values and my and my actions were not fully aligned. And it was scary and terrifying and then exhilarating to build again and to build in more alignment. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking to launch next. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. I wrote two books prior to like the big internet boom. So, you know, promoting in this world and, and launching something in this world for me, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to be a learner again and a student again. Well, you know, I'm a pro when it comes to this stuff. I'm like, oh, I have 8 million ideas for you, Jess. This is going to be great. <laughs> so you just speed dial me anytime. I, I am so excited so, to hear that. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for you. And I think that what is beautiful and, and really what you've illustrated so well in this episode is just showing that there's going to be these like pivotal moments in your life. It could happen when you're a child. It could happen when the world is at crisis. It could happen during great Leaving, but there's going to be these like recentering, reset times. And yeah. I feel like we're coming out of one and it's presenting this opportunity for people to really say, what do I want to rush back to? What is mm -hmm. normal going to look like? What are you excited about in this season as we're navigating out of this change? Like what's mm -hmm. firing you up these days? Shedding. <laughs> I think shedding more. <laughs> these, shedding these self-imposed restrictions or these ideas that the hustle is the only way to achieve the things that we're looking to achieve. Like mm -hmm. I'm always on the fence about balance. I sometimes like the word harmony a bit more because I feel like yeah. – you know, there's a lot of imbalance in, in nature that can also result in great harmony. And so I think for me in my life, I've been very, very good at running 100 miles an hour and doing all the things that good hustlers do. I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on this one. And, and I think, you know, what I'm interested in now is shedding those parts of myself that haven't been serving me in this new season of my life and this life stage and kind of being like really boldly interested 
in the transition instead of trying to rush through it, right? Like I'm okay sitting in some discomfort. I'm, you know, the title of the podcast I'm launching is called We're All Gonna Die Anyway. And it's, you know, (laughs) intended. I mean, it sounds sort of flippant in this world that we're in, but it's also true. It's like the one thing I feel like we walk around with, which is this finite clock. We don't know when and we don't know how, but we know it will happen for all of us. And so that really lights me up to embrace every single drop of the uncertainty, of the joy, of all those moments in between. And I think when I was on a different kind of path, I didn't give myself a lot of room to allow that shedding to happen. So I'm excited about that. I'm also, quite frankly, excited about the whole world maybe rethinking some values. I'm really interested to see, you know, I tend to, I'm an optimist, I guess, by nature. I'm I'm a realistic optimist, but I'm hopeful that we're going to continue to work together to to create a new world in which not only are we seen and heard and taken care of, but we love more deeply and we live more boldly. And, and that's kind of, you know, my hope for myself and hope for how I can impact the world around me. One of the things that I want to close this out with, because that thought was the perfect lead in is if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, how do I know if I'm in alignment? How do I know if my brand is being aware of representation? Like, how do I know if I'm marketing in a way that connects people and helps people feel seen? Is there any tools or any audit like tools to help somebody just kind of analyze where they're at? Yeah. You know, this vision value is an action exercise that I do. And I'm going to start to put that out there, you know, more publicly for people to do. This is stuff I've normally done with clients and with my students actually. But I think it's about three things. I think it's about internally checking your biases, your team. And what I mean by that is not like, you know, uh, being overly critical of yourself, but asking yourself the question, you know, am I considering other people's points of view? Have I shown this to other people that are not like the people in the room or on the team? Have I been open to feedback that might feel negative or approach as negative? But is there something for me to learn in that? I think a lot of it is about leaning into the discomfort of focusing on where we might have some shortcomings or where we might not be thinking about things. So one is, I think, being willing to do that work. The second step, I think, is constantly being curious about the world around you and about your consumers or about your clients or about your partners. Like, Ask those questions and continue to dig deep because inclusivity is not, it's just not skin deep. It's just not on the surface. So you might think you're doing a great job in diversity because you've got like every check the box there. But are you really engaging people as the multidimensional people that they are? And so I think like going a little bit deeper is number two. And then I think number three is, you know, always be willing to pivot. One of the things I'll tell my clients all the time is it's progress, not perfection. You know, okay, you, you missed a beat on that campaign. You miscast this or you underestimated this. It's okay. I would say that to a, another human, like you're learning. As long as your intention is about learning and doing better the next time, then pick yourself back up and, and do it again. Don't let fear stop you from taking a risk or asking tough questions or challenging yourself to make sure that you are representing what is inclusive and welcoming for people. Mm-hmm. That is so good. And thank you for sharing that because I think that will just leave us with a perfect challenge to really dig deeper and to kind of be introspective, especially in this season, as we start to kind of enter the world again, what kind of goodness and like culture do we want to bring back into the world? And how can we make sure that we're advocating in the right and responsible way, which is so beautiful. Thank you for that. 
Yeah, you're so welcome. Boy, I could talk forever, Mama. I know. Okay, where can everybody find you and connect with you and be in touch as you continue to step into the light more fully and share that beautiful voice and story? Where can we find you? So I am at jessweiner.com and that's W-E-I-N-E-R.com. And I'm at I'm Jess Wiener on Instagram. I think those are the two big ones. And obviously I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on everywhere I need to go except for Pinterest, which is now why I'm taking your class. So, yes, um, but no, but I, I think jessweiner.com is also where I'm building the good life community and a place that we can have more conversations like this and more tools where we can craft a life that we love on our own terms. Oh, Jess, I've imagined this conversation in my head 8 million times, <laughs> but this went even better than my wildest daydreams. Aww. Thank you, sweetheart. I, I really, I value your space and place in the world and your voice and advocacy for business owners and women everywhere. So thank you so much for having me. Ooh, guys, that interview, so, so powerful. And I think this year of any has really just made us to be more aware of those questions. What is a good life? Am I living it? What does success mean to me? What does it look like? How does it feel? And I love that Jess is continuing to pursue her curiosity to explore that question, not just for herself, but for those who she interviews. I know I'm so excited to continue to listen in on these conversations and continue to dive deeper and ask myself these same questions. And I'm just so, so grateful to Jess for coming on this show today. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals, and I hope that those goals bring you towards a good life. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 